couple weeks ago, it was a random Thursday of 7.45 in the morning. I remember the day pretty clearly, pretty distinctly. It was not a special day. There's nothing special about it. It was just another Thursday. But you, if you could have been a fly on the wall, you would have found me sitting on the couch, head in my hands, just completely deflated. We were a couple minutes before we had to get out of the house. We're a one-car family, so 7.45, we're all loading in the car, drop the kids off at daycare, drop Darian off at work, get here to the office. The living room, the whole house looked like a toy grenade had gone off. I mean, just toys scattered everywhere. We had dishes piled up from the night before that we didn't have time or energy to get to. Every room in the house needed some kind of special attention. We, we couldn't give it because the boys that, that weekend were, or all that week had been sick. They weren't sleeping very well at night. They were grumpy in the day, meaning we weren't sleeping very well at night and we were grumpy during the day. And I remember in that moment, I felt stressed, overwhelmed, scared, and exhausted. Parenthood, right? That's just, just comes along with the territory. But regardless if you are a parent or not, it's very likely that the majority of people in this room have felt a hint or the entirety of what I felt or even a more extreme aversion version of what I felt that one random Thursday. But you keep showing up. You keep smiling. You keep doing your job. Despite just under the surface, you feel this persistent, maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's a deeper form of depression. Maybe you just feel stressed out, burnout. Like one more thing added to your schedule, one more thing going wrong will simply make you snap. This morning, we're going to talk about that. In fact, in this entire series, we're going to be talking about missing peace. Because isn't that what many of us are missing these days? If it's scanning the news or our news apps, if it's going into the neighborhood, if it's hearing about another shooting that's happening in Texas, if it's going to work and meeting the deadlines, if it's struggling through our marriage, or if it's just something internal inside of us. There's many of us who are missing peace. What we're going to do in this series is I want us to navigate the Bible and these heroes of the faith to show us how they dealt with similar, very similar issues that many of us are navigating in our own life because God has promised us something better. He's promised us something more profound than just anxiety or missing peace. Right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Sanctify you not partially, not temporarily, but completely. And may your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I think when we talk about mental health, this is my perception. I think the church is getting better at this. It's been long argued, at least in the circles I have been in, that you just don't talk about mental health in church buildings, right? You just, that, that's somebody else's problem to figure out. In the church, we don't talk about it. And I think one of the reasons is there's this underlying belief that if you give your life to Jesus, you shouldn't be stressed. You shouldn't struggle with 
anxiety or something else mentally. Because here's the reality, right? Those who give their life to Jesus, he's going to work in all things to benefit those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that's absolutely true. Jesus will save you. Jesus has saved many of you. He has forgiven you. He gives you his strength. He will not abandon you. And everything will ultimately work out according to God's plan. All of that is 100% true, yet it's not sufficient. Wait, what? What does that mean? Here's what I mean by that. And what I'm going to say might scare a couple of people, but I give you full permission to talk behind my back, to call me a heretic or whatever you want to do. That's completely fine with me. It may frighten you, but it's true. Just because you give your life to Jesus does not mean, that does not imply that all of your problems will go away. Right? People don't come out of the waters of baptism with six-pack abs or their arthritis healed. We'd get a lot more baptisms if so, right? Right? Jesus may redeem you, but he may not redeem your credit score. Right? The, the conversation you have after giving your life to Jesus at the water cooler might be, it's not going to be, yeah, you know, Jesus has done a lot for me. I'm really glad he gave, and my hair is a lot thicker these days. I mean, it's just, and I'm not saying that God can't work miracles in your life. He absolutely can, but just because you come to Jesus does not imply your boss is going to start being nice to you. Or that your, your bank account is going to get higher and more numbers are going to suddenly appear. In the same way, just because you come to Jesus does not imply you will automatically be mentally healthy. So I want to spend a moment for us to unpack mental health, to do it as a church. In fact, we're going to spend a series unpacking the different elements of mental health. But first and foremost, I have to say, let's just get the elephant out of the room here. I am not an expert. I'm not. I'm not a Christian therapist. I'm not a doctor. I've read a lot of books. I've, I've listened to a bunch of pastors who have given a lesson like this to their churches. A lot of my lessons are based off of those. I have, um, I've, I've talked to people who do work in the mental health field, but I myself am not an expert. I am a pastor. I am that first, and so I'm approaching this from a spiritual perspective. With that being said, let's look at what is mental health. Let's just classify it, define it for us. This comes from the CDC. Mental health includes our emotional, our psychological, and our social well-being. Here's a quote. It affects how we think, how we feel, how we act. It also helps determine how we handle stress, how we relate to other people, how we make healthy choices. Here's my point. Mental health, your mental health is not static. Meaning you don't just establish yourself as healthy and then you don't struggle anymore. You could be healthy in one moment, but then something happens. Something happens to your body. Something traumatic happens. Something happens in your social circles and your mental health can fluctuate. It goes up, it goes down, and we have to learn to navigate that as Christians. But we have to remember it's not static. What we feel impacts what we think. What we think impacts how we act. And there's a lot of misconceptions about mental health. So what we want to do is we want to define it, and then we want to build a firm foundation for us, a foundation that we can build onto throughout this series as we navigate this topic that many people don't want to talk about. A lot of people do, but don't know how. 
So how do we navigate this as Christians? I think the first thing we need to do in this sermon, we're going to break, we're going to bust two myths about mental health. Two things that are not true when it comes to Christians, the church, and our mental health. So let's just dive in. Myth number one. We've already kind of talked about this, but let's just hit it square on the head. The myth is that Christians shouldn't struggle with their mental health. The idea goes like this. Well, you're a Christian, so you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're saved, so you shouldn't have anxiety. You shouldn't be depressed. You shouldn't get burned out. If you're struggling with those issues, it is likely your fault. That's the myth. It is your fault. In other words, maybe you lack sufficient faith. Maybe you're not praying enough, or maybe you're praying a lot, but you're not praying the right things. Maybe there is a sin in your life that you need to confess. And once you confess it, once that sin is off of you, now you won't be anxious anymore. You won't be stressed anymore. You won't be depressed anymore. What I want to show you in this series is that you can love Jesus with all of your heart and still be fighting with depression is that you can be in the Word regularly. You could have the longest Bible reading streak in your Bible, on your app, whatever, and you could still struggle with anxiety. That you could attend church regularly. You could be here sitting front row, raising your hand in praise, tithing God, serving in the nursery, and you can still be stressed. I would dare say maybe because you're working in the nursery, that's why you're stressed, but that's just my own experience with that. But whenever you look at scripture, here's what I want to show you. When you look at scripture and you read about these heroes of the faith, these fathers and the mothers of the faith, you're going to see that they deal with nearly the exact same thing that we deal with today. Take, for example, Elijah. I mean, this guy was pompous. This guy faced off with 800 Baal worshipers on a mountain. He called down the fires of heaven and just... Just days, hours after that, he is alone, he's despondent, and he wishes to die. In fact, God had to send angels to provide for him because he was so lost in himself. How about King David, who literally faces a giant as a youth, who says, how dare you come against the armies of God, and yet you read through the Psalms, you're going to find hints and words of depression, questioning God, and the feelings of abandonment. How about Jeremiah? You know, every time I read through my Bible, I think, I want to be like a prophet. These guys are bold. These guys are courageous. These guys are men of God who who walk faithfully with God. And yet, that is all true about Jeremiah, but he's also called the weeping prophet. He struggled with loneliness, with uncertainty. He loathed the day he was born. You know, sometimes in the church, The message goes like this. You just need more God. You just need more God. You need more God. You need more God. You need more God. And that's absolutely true. You probably do need more God, but you also might need more sleep. Is that bad to say? Like you just might, your body was designed to sleep. And maybe for you, yes, we all need more God, but maybe for you, you also need to get more sleep at night. Maybe you need better friends. You know, so many of us in in our culture, they feel lonely, they feel isolated, and yet they're not connected to a church community. You're not involved in a Bible study. You're not being discipled or mentored by somebody. And you wonder why, whenever the, the waves of darkness hit you, why you feel so lonely. My point is the entire body is interconnected in some way. 
our spirituality, our physicality, our emotion, our social. Like maybe you need more God. Absolutely, we all do. But maybe you need a better diet. Maybe you need to go see a doctor because you're, expe- you're experiencing hormonal changes. Maybe you require deeper therapy than what a sermon can give you one Sunday morning. Right? We need God, there is no doubt, but we also might need other things. My point is, if you're struggling, if you are struggling, if you're here this morning and you are struggling in some way with your mental health, it's not because you are a bad Christian. It just means you're human. You're just human like everybody else that struggles. And we rely on something other than what the world offers, but we are still humans in this world. And a lot of the times you'll see in churches, you'll see in Christians, well, you shouldn't struggle with your mental health. I'm here to tell you that's just a myth. It's just a myth. Myth number two. The second myth is that God doesn't care about your mental health. God has way too many other things, greater issues he's worried about. Are you seeing what's happening in Allen, Texas? Right? Are you, won't you just turn on the news and you'll see that God has bigger issues to worry about than you being anxious about getting together with your in-laws later this weekend. Like He doesn't care about those things. Just suck up and you'll get over it. Right? That's, that can be the mentality. That's the myth that God doesn't care about us mentally. But that's just not true. Like, just read, just spend some time in the Psalms, and you'll see God cares about every aspect of us. Let's just read a couple of those together. Psalm 42, 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil against me or within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to those whose hearts are broken. To those who feel like their spirits are crushed, those are the ones God is near. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? I want to show you one other psalm, Psalm 88. Maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. Let's give some background context here. Psalm 88 is written by a man, a God-fearing man, a man after God's heart named Heman. Now, we don't know much about Heman, but we know enough about him, right? If you read through 1 Chronicles 6, 25, 1 Kings chapter 4, we'll learn some details. I'll just give you the overview, right? He had a lot of wisdom. A lot of people came to him. He gave off a lot of wisdom. We know Heman was musically talented, and in fact, he used his talents to praise God and to serve the king. He was faithful in that. And he was also, we get ideas from First Chronicles 25, that he was a committed parent. He had a lot of kids, and they respected him. So, I mean, this is, this is a guy who would have been like a deacon in a church. Right? He's the one that you want to go to for advice. The one that you're like, oh, I wish like, that was my father-in-law, or that was my dad. Like, I want this guy to lead me and guide me. This is a man who loves God, and wait until you see what he wrote in Psalm 88. In fact, One commentator I read said this, Psalm 88 is an embarrassment to conventional faith. Whoa, why? It's because it doesn't have a happy, good conclusion. You know, a lot of other psalmists, they'll they'll be hurting, they're weeping, they're mourning, but at the end they'll say, but praise be to you, God, you are good, you are mighty, you're holy, and I give you that praise. Psalm 88 does not do that. 
So this is what God's man says, and I'm curious how many of you could relate. Starting in verse 3. I am overwhelmed with troubles. My life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who've gone down to the pit. I'm like one without any strength left. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more. God, you have forgotten me. I feel like I'm cut off from your care. Now that's real. That's raw. But let me show you something that Heman does right, and it's something that many of you do right and are doing right right now. Is that in the midst of his pain, while Heman will never turn this around and start praising God, He will turn this around and say, my eyes are locked on you. In fact, that's how he starts this entire psalm. He says, but I cry for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. And this is the thing that many of you are doing right. You are here this morning and you are hurting. You are in pain. You're anxious. You're nervous. You're worried. You're overwhelmed. You're depressed. You're Something is going on in your life and you are here because in the midst of your darkness, you still see light and you're here to give praise to God. And this is what we learned from Heman. But like I said, it doesn't end pretty. This is how he ends the entire psalm. He says these words, you've taken from me, my friend and my neighbor. Darkness is now my closest friend. Darkness is my closest friend. This is a guy who loves God, a man of God, and this is in your Bible. This is in the Psalms. And I love that it doesn't have a positive ending, not for Heman's sake, but for our sake. Because it reminds us that God loves it whenever we love him, but he is not afraid whenever we don't. God loves it whenever we worship him and we praise him, But he also is okay if we're doubting and we're questioning him, right? Even even if you are yelling at God, you are still talking to him. And that's what God cares about most. Where are our eyes fixed? Where are our minds fixed? What does uh, Jesus say is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I, I, I thought about that. What does it mean to love God with all of your mind? Like, what does that actually look like practically? So I did a little research. I want to talk to you about how the brain works, like how it just mechanically operates. Just a little bit of science here. So uh, many of you know, instead of me regurgitating all this information, many of you know I'm writing a book right now on purpose, how to move from a life that feels purposeless to a life of purpose. Um, I'm writing out these five principles in story form. You follow along this young man who's putting them into practice. One day, hopefully it'll be finished, you can read it. Here's my point of bringing it up. There's a part in the book where I bring up this exact same thing, right? We talk about how does the brain operate? How do we, how does it shape? How does it form? Because it's actually elastic. It's flexible. It can be shaped and molded. So if it's okay, instead of me just regurgitating, it's okay if I just read a portion of the book to you? Is that okay, everybody? Okay, cool. All right, so the main character, Don, is the wise sage. Ethan is the young guy who's absorbing the information. That's all you need to know. Here we go. 
So I want you to particularly listen about the brain, how it operates. So Don took another spoonful of soup and set the bowl on the ground. He leaned in and he continued, Between your ears are billions of brain cells called neurons that work as a team to shape everything that makes you Ethan. Different neurons have different responsibilities. Think of it like a corporation. There's the eating division. You have the threat department, the learning think tank. You know, being human is complicated, so these neurons, they work in synchronicity. There it is. I write. I don't read. There we go. Here's where things get fun. When you have an experience, let's say you get a job in a different state, or you come across a crying child in the park, the relevant neurons are activated. They fire off. Now, this firing causes neural connections to strengthen and new synapses to grow. In non-science talk, right, the neurons that work the hardest are fortified the most. Now, not all 100 billion neurons work on every project, only the specific department for the experience. So eventually, the no longer needed neurons, they wither from lack of use. That isn't bad, that's normal, that is healthy, because your brain wants to clear meaningful real estate in your mind so that relevant neurons can grow and thrive. That's why you can sing your favorite car, sing your favorite song in the car word for word, or why your mind drifts while driving a familiar route to work. Those repeated activities eventually formed rock-solid connections. This is called neuroplasticity. It matters because every experience you have alters the physical structure of your brain. The people you spend the most time with, every feeling, the ruminating thoughts, every action you take influences the wiring of your brain and determines who you become. If you're not deliberate and conscious in shaping your brain, other people and experiences will do it for you. Your attention and focus are always somewhere, but maybe not where you want them to be. You can, direct, you can directly impact the future shape of your brain, but it's not going to happen by being passive. That is why it's essential you know the third principle. You have to win the war of your mind. Scripture says it a little more simply. Isaiah 26, verse 3, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. What kind of peace do we have access to? Perfect peace, not occasional peace, not temporary peace, perfect peace. What exactly is Isaiah saying with perfect peace? Well, in Hebrew, the word for peace is shalom. Everybody say shalom, shalom. Congratulations, you're a Hebrew speaker, right? And we, most of us might know this, right? Shalom is how they would greet people. Come into a store, ah, shalom, you know, peace be with you, basically. In Hebrew, they don't have punctuation points, right? So they don't have any way to say, like, exclamation point, except in word structure. Shalom, shalom, a repeated word, is literally their way of saying exponential peace. Isaiah says, you will get, you will keep in shalom, Shalom, you will experience exponential amount of peace. Who? Who will experience? Those whose eyes are locked in on CNN? No. Those who are regularly watching and following Newsmax? Not a chance. 
Those whose eyes can barely peel away from their phone after they get home from work? Likely not. Those of us who binge-watched Love is Blind this past month? Probably not. Perfect peace is available, but it is reserved for those who what? Whose thoughts are fixed on God. What is that word fix? In Hebrew, it's the word samach. Everybody say samach. Samach. You got it. It's like guttural. You got to really pull it from the back of your throat. Samach, right? Samach to fix. Literally, it's translated to prop against, to put your full weight into something. So if I'm sitting on this, this shelf, I am shamach. I am putting all my weight, all my trust on this shelf that it's going to hold up, right? And if it goes out, I go with it. That is shamach, and that is the type of focus, of trust, of relationship we have been called to have with God. There's a lot of us, there is strain, there is heaviness that so many people are feeling right now. You're concerned about multitude of issues. You're scared about your job if you're going to lose it. You don't like the people who are around you. You're simply not okay. And unfixing our mind on the bad things is step one. Because, as we learned, science shows us the more we're fixed on something, the more our, our neural pathways strengthen and it's easier for us to go back to that negativity. So we have to disconnect ourselves from what is bad, but we can't simply connect to what is good. What does Scripture say? Those whose thoughts are fixed on, on God. On God, on God on God, and science says we begin to create neural pathways to God. We ask the question, God, why don't you fix my mind? When we should be saying, how much is my mind fixed on God? How much am I locked in with him? We'll discuss more of that next week when we talk about anxiety. Let me give you another piece of scripture. Second Peter Chapter 1, verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Let me repeat that first part. His divine power has given us everything that we need to live a godly life. This is why we need to be saying statements like this, because it is his divine power, not my power, not Fox News's power, not Donald Trump's power, not Disney's power, not Satan's power, not my counselor's power. It is God's divine power that gives me everything I need to live a godly life. And so this week, this statement needs to be at the forefront of our mouth. We need to be saying this to ourselves regularly. In fact, I want to say this together as a church family. I want to say this out loud. I'm going to say a part, and you're going to repeat after me, if that's okay. God is my source and my strength. I have everything I need to do everything he has called me to do. God is my source and my strength. I have everything I need to do everything he has called me to do. According to scripture, he has provided me everything I need, including the people that I need, the resources that I need, the friends that I need, the counseling that I need, the strength that I need. He has given me everything that I need over and over and over again. Am I taking it? I need a lot more God, but I might need a lot more of something else too.
sleep, friends, counseling. And those whose thoughts are fixed on God will experience perfect peace. We control the shape of our brain. Is it fixed on God? Or are we just begging God to fix our brain? Next week, we're going to discuss anxiety in detail. Week after that, Tracy and I are going to talk about depression. Next, we'll talk about worry, the feeling of being overwhelmed. And if I hadn't hit you in one of those three, then we're going to talk about negativity and the perception of negative thoughts and how they can control us. And my goal in this series is for us to have Jesus's words rolling through our mind constantly. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, Jesus says. I don't give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Jesus doesn't give us a piece of his peace. He says, my peace I am giving to you. All of it, the entirety of it. Now, the most important thing about this verse as we land this plane is when Jesus said it. These are Jesus' words to his followers the night he would be arrested and taken off to experience one of the most one of the worst bodily torments the body can go through. Perhaps reminding us that perfect peace, the peace of Jesus, is available to us not despite, but because of the turmoil that we experience. Because of the presence of God, not because of our life going well on the backside. Perfect peace is available. Shalom. Shalom. When that awful news comes, and there's another global shooting somewhere in the world or in our backyard, peace is available. When we get that terrible news about one of our boss or someone we love getting let go, being fired, being replaced by somebody we don't like, peace is available. You have access to peace. When your marriage is in trouble, when you're fighting with each other and you don't want to anymore, when you can't get along, when you're fighting for each other, but you don't know the steps forward, peace is available. When your children make decisions that break your heart, when the ones who are supposed to love you the most hurt you the most, when money is scarce, there is peace. Shalom, shalom. It's a divine peace that the world can't offer you. But here's the good news. The world can't take it away either. It doesn't, it can't touch it. It is divine kind of power that's given to us. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this body of Christ that meets at Vero Beach off of 3306, off of State Route 60, this body that meets here that loves you. And God, despite no one coming forward, this invitation is always open. That this is a family, a church family, that cares for each other and counts on each other. And there is a stigma on mental health that it makes us lesser than as Christians. But Jesus, help us get rid of the lie and the myth. Help us remember that you died for all people. You died for all people who are struggling in all different ways. 
And while it is not the design that you have created us to be, it is a part of being human. And so God, whoever it is in here that needs this message, that needs this series, that needs one of the particular things we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, Father, I pray for hearts to be open, minds to be opened. I pray for a church family that surrounds those who are hurting so that the strong can help the weak because one day the weak will be able to help the strong. God, we still have joy. We still have peace and hope and faith and love. But God, help us remember the greatest of all of these is love. How are we doing at loving the world, loving those who are near us, loving ourselves? Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gift of his grace and his truth that leads us and guides us in all that we do. And God, we pray for your peace to come upon us. A peace that the world can't give and the world can't take away. A peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that makes us whole and complete despite our imperfections and holes and flaws in our life. A peace that helps us maintain and sustain. Thank you for that peace. And we give this prayer and this praise back to you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.